the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ephesians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. It's just still an understanding that there's some kind of a ranking in this fallen realm of these fallen angelic beings. And I want you to also notice, he says there in verse, um, at the beginning of that verse, in verse 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And the reason that I think that's also noteworthy is because sometimes, now hear me on this, sometimes we confuse what is actually a spiritual battle with a problem that we have with someone else. This happens all the time. Maybe it's in a political bout you're having with someone, or a strained relationship at work over performance or responsibilities. Maybe it's arguing with your spouse over some trivial thing. We frequently will look at others, even our own family members, and see them as the enemy instead of acknowledging who the real enemy is. In today's message, Pastor Gary will caution us against this dangerous mindset and remind us that our fight is not with flesh and blood. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Some slaves were indentured servants and that they were actually hired and they were actually paid and they actually were cared for. So in that sense, we're going to capture that part of it. And we're going to understand this passage in terms of employees and employers. Because here's another situation you're going to find yourself in, just like you might find yourself in the situation of being a wife or a husband, a child or a parent. Now, how are we to submit in terms of the working environment? And when he speaks here about slaves or employees, you are to obey your earthly bosses with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Again, this is as unto the Lord. If you are being asked on the job to do something that is unethical or unbiblical, you do not have to do what your boss says. It might cost you your job. You know, there have been plenty of whistleblowers who have lost their job. And in some ways, whistleblowers are now more protected by law. But this is that reminder to us that your ultimate boss is Jesus, okay? Now, you are honoring Jesus by honoring your boss or your manager. But it is ultimately unto the Lord, and it shows itself in the way that we honor those who are in positions of authority over us. And so that's the takeaway from this passage. And it's not only speaking to employees, it speaks to employers in verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves, or employers, treat your employees in the same way. Like unto the Lord. How would you be treating the Lord here? Do not threaten them since you know that he was both their master, Jesus, and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So treat one another with respect and with honor. You won't always like what you're being asked to do. 
But the only time we get to object is if it clearly violates conscience based on Scripture. Otherwise, sometimes we bite our tongues and we we do things just because we are in a position of respecting authority, even though we may not always agree with that authority. And so we do our job and we do it because we're doing it as unto the Lord. We're going to talk about this next section here where Paul goes into this aspect of what has commonly been referred to as spiritual warfare. So I'm going to read verse 10 down through verse 20, and then we'll come back and kind of pick this apart. Verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace." In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me. Whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Because remember, he was writing this letter as a prisoner in Rome. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. All right, so this is number 18 on our list for those of you taking notes. He tells us that the new life stands strong in the Lord and in his mighty power against the spiritual forces of evil that attack us. The first little subpoint is our strength is in the Lord. And I want to emphasize that because he begins this section in verse 10 saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, why is this important to point out? Because, listen, the moment you think that you have the power to fight spiritual forces of evil is the moment you're going to be defeated, okay? The only strength and the only power we have is in the Lord. And I know people, and they scare me. I know Christians who are like, I'm going on spiritual warfare. I'm going on the attack. I'm like, no. First of all, why are you looking for it? Look, you're already in the battle, all right? You don't have to go, you know, lifting up rocks, finding more demons to rebuke. Stop that. This is in the strength of the Lord. This is not in my strength. In Jude verse 9, it's a very peculiar verse in Jude verse 9 that gives us a little insight into what happened around the death of Moses. Around the death of Moses, it talks about how God buried Moses and that nobody really saw. And in Jude verse 9, it says that Michael, the archangel, dared not dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. Apparently, there was a struggle going on. Where I don't know what that really means, except that it sounds like Satan wanted to dig up Moses' body. But apparently, there was this battle over, over Moses' body. And in Jude 9, it says that Michael, the archangel, dared not to dispute with Satan over the body of Moses, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So even the archangel Michael is invoking the name of the Lord because even the archangel Michael knew in his own power, pretty powerful angel, but in his own power, he's not going to fight the enemy. He's going to let the Lord fight the enemy. And we need to understand the same. I get it. We're like, well, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Yeah, I get that. 
But we have to be very, very careful that this is not a battle that we should be fighting in our own strength. This is the Lord's battle. He fights for us, and we are to stand in his strength and in his power. All right, that's the first thing to point out. The other thing to point out here is that apparently from this passage, there are ranks among the demonic principalities. You read almost any Bible commentary, and it is believed that in verse 12, when Paul speaks here about using different terms, rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, that he is speaking about ranks. So apparently in the demonic unseen realm... There are rankings almost like in the military. I mean, there are some corporals and and there are some lieutenants. There's some generals and and then the five-star is Satan himself. That there's some matter of ranking. Now, I don't know that that really makes a whole lot of difference as far as you and I are concerned because even if a private comes up against you, that's one too many, right? But it's just still an understanding that there's some kind of a ranking in this fallen realm of these fallen angelic beings. And I want you to also notice, he says there in verse, um, at the beginning of that verse, in verse 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And the reason that I think that's also noteworthy is because sometimes, now hear me on this, sometimes we confuse what is actually a spiritual battle with a problem that we have with someone else. And we think that the conflict we have with someone else is just between the two of us When in reality, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes, and I think sometimes more often than we think, it's actually brought on by demonic things and we are just playing into their hands. Sometimes we think you're the problem and if you would just get your act together, you know what? Sometimes it's actually the enemy and that we just play into that. I'll have more to say about it in just a moment. But first of all, number three, the bullet point is there are seven weapons of our warfare that he's going to talk about now in the following verses. And he's going to frame these weapons in terms of being like a Roman soldier and the armor and the uniform of a Roman soldier during this time. And he's going to outline these seven weapons of our warfare. Now, before I go through these seven weapons with you as he outlines them here, I want to make sure I haven't lost anybody at this point. So let me just kind of back up and explain what we're talking about here. The first sin recorded in the Bible and the first sin that ever was committed was not Adam and Eve, but it was when Satan rebelled against God. When God originally created angels, they were loyal, they were obedient, they were submissive until one day, one of those angels, and you can read in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, there are Old Testament passages that give us some of the background against the fall of Lucifer, which I'm not going to go into. That's, not, that's a different Bible study. Ezekiel 28 refers to Satan as the guardian cherub twice in Ezekiel 28, the guardian cherub. There Satan is, Lucifer, with some apparent high rank, some say the highest rank among the angels. Isaiah 14 says that he made five I will statements when pride filled his heart on account of his beauty. And the fifth I will statement was, I will be like the most high. And what entered Satan's heart was pride. And he decided he didn't want to just be like God. He wanted to be God. And when he rebelled against God, Revelation chapter 12 tells us that he swept with him a third of the stars, which is a reference to angels. So as many angels as there are, a third of them rebelled with Lucifer in this mutiny against God. 
Those then who rebelled against God, who joined with Satan, were expelled from heaven, and those fallen angels now make up what we refer to as demons. The Bible tells us that the worst, the most ferocious of those demons have been kept in chains in an abyss until such time that they will be released, the book of Revelation says, for a time. But for the moment, some of the worst are under lock and chain. But otherwise, there are demons, fallen angels we cannot see. The Bible describes as being part of that spirit realm, and they are constantly at work to attack us in some way, to deceive, to tempt, to lie to us, to do whatever they possibly can to bring us down. And the ultimate thing that they want is for as many people to go to hell with them because they know that's their ultimate demise. And so they will work overtime to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your kids, to do anything and everything they can to just wreak havoc on your life. Now, of course, if you're a believer and you've accepted Christ and Jesus has come into your heart, don't worry about being possessed by demons. But otherwise, if someone is not a believer and they've not received Christ and Christ has not entered their heart, a person can actually be subject to not just demonic warfare on the exterior, but actually on the interior of a person. That's also a whole other Bible study on demon possession. But you see through the Gospels, Jesus miraculously delivered a lot of people from demon possession. But otherwise, no fear. If you're a believer and you've asked Christ to come into your heart, God doesn't share space with Satan, all right? And that's why the Bible says, greater is he, the Lord, in you than he that is in the world. So you can't coexist. I know that some would disagree with me on that, but that's the way that Scripture really teaches. So don't worry about demon possession. That said, there is demon oppression from the outside. There's no evidence in Scripture that Satan can read your mind, but he can sure whisper and plant thoughts and stir things up. And understanding spiritual warfare is something, quite honestly, that has taken me a lifetime to grasp a little bit of. I can tell you, and if Terry were here, she would say the same thing, that spiritual warfare has been the biggest thing that she and I have had to address in our marriage. Just because there are times that we find ourselves having disagreements over things, and we end up now, you know, early on in our marriage, we we weren't wise to it. And only more lately in the latter years of our marriage have we begun to realize, okay, wait, this is the enemy just working overtime. We need to just stop right now and pray. Because there's just different ways that the enemy can get in, play with your mind, whisper lies, cause there to be deception in your thoughts, and, and then you don't believe the best of the other, and then arguments, and then bickering, and then what did you mean by, and all these kind of things that the enemy can play on to just really rip us off. Okay, now I I remember when I first came into understanding this as it related to a a disagreement that Terry and I were having, and I realized, okay, this is just the enemy. And I just, I quoted scripture right at the moment. I said, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) Now, 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 I'm quoting scripture. The problem is I was looking at my wife when I said that. Okay, so that day didn't go over very well. Let's just put it it that way. But I, I learned, I quickly learned, okay, just think that, don't say it. Pray it. Pray it. Don't say it. Okay? But there are some times where you need to realize, and it's not just related to marriage. It can be related to a lot of different things. You can, you've got to learn to spot the enemy. Now, listen. Look, I know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Bible says. God is consistent, but he is not... Hold on. Predictable. That's the word. He is not predictable. Thank you, Lord. Um, 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's consistent, but he's not predictable. What do I mean by that? Remember when Jesus would heal people in the New Testament? Did he use the same method every single time? No, sometimes he spoke the word and they were healed. Sometimes he laid hands on them and they were healed. Sometimes he made a mixture of mud and saliva and they were healed. Okay, God operates in mysterious ways that are often unpredictable. He's consistent in his character and in his nature, but the way he manifests certain things at different times are not always that predictable. Satan, however, is very predictable. And you will begin to recognize a pattern where he seems to do this. Well, this is the same thing and the same way that he's always trying to rip me off. And the more you begin to grow in your relationship with Christ, the more you recognize that God moves in mysterious ways, though he's consistent in his nature, but Satan moves in very predictable ways. And you'll begin to realize, oh, this is just the same old thing. He's just pulling out another tool from his toolbox to try to rip us off again. So let me go through this list that Paul writes about here. One of the things he refers to is the belt of truths, these seven weapons of our warfare. He mentions the belt of truth there in verse 14. And truth is symbolically represented here as a belt which keeps the rest of the armor in place and which gathers up our garments so that we can fight effectively. The Roman soldier would need his belt because it kind of connected all the rest of his armor and his uniform. And Paul starts here by saying truth has got to be central. It's got to be central to your life because the enemy works as the father of lies, Jesus said. He is a liar and the father of lies. And so we can't play into his hands by being people who lie. We have to be people of truth and we have to gird ourselves with the belt of truth. We are to fight lies and deception with the truth. The second thing he speaks of here is the breastplate of righteousness. Obviously, a breastplate covered the body from the neck to the waist and thus protected the vital organs, particularly the heart. This is a matter of protecting the integrity of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So the righteousness that Christ imputed to us and that we receive by faith guards our hearts against the accusations and the charges of Satan, and therefore God's righteousness secures our innermost being from Satan's attack. We are to guard our hearts. The next thing that he points to here as part of the armor and the uniform is the feet fitted with the gospel of peace. He mentions there in verse 15. It is the idea of traveling the gospel. In other words, spreading it around. How is this a part of our ability to withstand the attacks of the enemy? Because the picture is here that in warfare, sometimes the enemy would put things along the path to trip up the, you know, if you were advancing against them and they would put things that would trip you up. And so he's using this as an analogy to say, you know, look, you're going to have to advance into the enemy territory. You're going to have to have your feet fitted with the gospel because the more you spread the truth of Christ, the more it will combat what Satan is up to, and even in your own lives. So spread the message of grace, and it will be powerful in in combating the work of the enemy. The next thing that he speaks of here on the list is the shield of faith. The shield of faith is a defensive weapon against the opposite of faith, which is doubt. Satan shoots doubt at us, talks here about the fiery darts of the enemy. In verse 16, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And one of the biggest 
arrows that the enemy loves to launch in our direction is constant doubt. That's why he speaks here of the shield of faith, which is the opposite of doubt. There are many times that you will be wrestling with doubts. Look, that is just the enemy trying to attack your mind. And so he says here, take up the shield of faith, stand on faith, believe God by faith. We are to fight against doubt using the shield of faith. The next thing that he speaks of here on this list is the helmet of salvation. It's an important part about guarding our thoughts and guarding our minds, putting on the helmet of salvation. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are told to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There is a battle for your mind. The enemy loves to whisper lies and accusations and deceptive things. You have to take your stand and take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We are to protect our thoughts and our minds. Some people are under the misguided notion that it doesn't really matter what you entertain in your mind as long as you don't act on it. Well, congratulations that it's, it's good of you to think that you shouldn't act on things that you think of, but we need to even go further than that to recognize that we can't allow our thoughts to just go unchecked that we must take captive. The moment you begin to have a thought that is evil or sinful or wicked, you have to take it captive and you have to make it obedient to Christ. The other thing that we are told here in this passage is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, he tells us further, is the Word of God. It is the only offensive weapon mentioned in the list here. And we are to use the Bible as a weapon against the attacks of the enemy, just like Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. Every single time that Satan tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus quoted Scripture. It is written, man does not live on bread alone. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So the more you have God's word in your heart, the better defense and offensive weapon you will have against the work of the enemy. So combat him with scripture. Somebody once said, whenever the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. And use the word of God as your offensive weapon. The last weapon that he speaks of here, which is not framed in terms of the Roman soldier, is just simply prayer. Prayer. But he uses the word one, two, three, four, five different times. And this is verses 18 to 20. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me. Pray that I may declare the gospel fearlessly. We need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. It is a weapon in our arsenal that is often underutilized. I've never met a person who told me once, I think I pray too much. But all of us know we could pray more. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, you get on your knees and you pray to God. And if it involves another person, you pray with that person and say, we're going to seek the Lord together. We're going to pray and we're going to get on our face and we're going to ask the Lord for him to fight for us because this is a battle that God needs to win on our behalf in the heavenly realm. And so Paul says, put on the full armor of God here, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer, all tools that God has given us through which we can be spiritually victorious, overcoming Satan's attacks and temptations. And he ends this letter by saying in verse 21, Tychicus, 
the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. Tychicus is a companion of Paul's mentioned in four other places in, in the New Testament. He seems to be like a messenger who delivers letters on Paul's behalf. He says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Signed, Paul. Amen. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we explore the book of Ephesians together. With all that is going on in the world today, this letter resonates deep. It dives into the core of all that is wrong with the world, selfishness. We as people can't help but want things our way and on our time. But Jesus taught to love deeper than that. He taught to live beyond your own desires. Paul, a man who once lived recklessly for himself, wanted those in Ephesus to understand what Jesus taught. He wanted the believers to not get caught up in their own wants and ways, but to see the bigger picture. Paul called for unity, just as Jesus did. That's what community should be. Is it always easy? No. Is the reward great? Yes. If you're looking to be a part of a community of believers who have this as their mission, then we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30, 10, and 11.45, as well as Wednesday nights at 7. So you have options. Head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc to find out more details as to where we meet and when. Again, that is cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, we hope you'll join Pastor Gary next time, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.